engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. We have a grand jury. Yes, we do. Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. Uh, we've got a grand jury impaneled by Robert Mueller regarding the Trump family, financial ties to Russia, uh, on and on and on. Um, how do I want to set this up? You know, I, let me set this up for you this way, because I, I've, I've got some inside information here, but... I need to, well, if you'll forgive me for going about it in a bit of a circuitous route. When I was a political consultant and lawyer, this would have been back in 2004, a woman called me and said she had a videotape that had my candidate's opponent in a compromising situation. And she wanted to give it to me. She wouldn't say who she was. She wouldn't provide me the details other than that it was compromising. So I was down in Macon at the time, and she asked me if I would meet her at a gas station near my law office. So I went to that gas station, and there was nobody there. And my phone rang. And she told me instead if I would go to the Honey Bear restaurant, which was a hole-in-the-wall restaurant uh, on the bad side of town across the railroad tracks, a good 15 minutes away. And I drove there. And my phone rang. And she said she had left the package under the third park bench in Washington Square Park in Macon. So I drove there. Went into the park. There were a few homeless people around. Went to the third park bench near the little stream that runs through the park, and there was a Kroger bag. And in the Kroger bag was a video. Now, for you kids these days, back in the day, we had these things called video cassettes. And so I took the video cassette back to my office, got a friend of mine to come in. We closed the door, and well, there was my candidate's opponent inside the Chamber of Commerce building at night with no clothes on, with a very large woman, not his wife. And, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Filming it in the Chamber of Commerce. And it, it well, it was even worse than you think. And so I was the political consultant and lawyer, and I had to make copies of the tape and try to get them to into the hands of members of the media without them knowing it was me doing it. So I had to take this, this videotape that included, well, blood and all sorts of bodily fluids, uh, yeah, and hand it off to members of the media and make sure I didn't get caught because I didn't want my candidate blamed. Uh, it was it was interesting and, and trying to get reporters to write about it and rumors. And we, we actually wound up losing the primary. Nobody wanted to touch the tape. Turned out it was his uh, wife who was who was the one who handed me the tape, got me the tape. When you run a campaign, you want to win. And there are plenty of political consultants out there who will play fast and loose with the rules in the name of winning. It's all about the winning. You get your win bonus if you win. So you'll do things you otherwise wouldn't do. 
And over time, there are some political consultants who get comfortable doing the things no one else will do, playing fast and loose with the rules, and they can get their candidate in trouble. I know a political candidate whose consultant broke the law, and it nearly destroyed the candidate. His political consultant, who was a friend of mine, wound up going to jail. I'm from Louisiana, and I know back in the day we used the big voting machines where you pull down the little lever and the curtain closes and you use the little wheels to pick your candidate. And I I know several political consultants who back in the day would go and they would swap out the rolls in the back so they were slightly adjusted. So when you you turned it and it looked like you were lining up, uh, say, Hillary Clinton's name, it was actually casting a vote for Donald Trump. And you never knew it because it showed Hillary Clinton on the front. It was just the wheel was slightly altered. That's why they got rid of those in Louisiana. I know people who did that. I know people who bragged about it. There is a grand jury impaneled now by Robert Mueller to probe financial ties to Russia between the Trump campaign and Trump family and others. My inside information is that I'm being told the three people who are being looked at more than any other are Carter Page, Mike Flynn and Paul Manafort, that this really doesn't have a lot to do with Donald Trump. They are looking at the meeting between Donald Trump Jr. and the Russians because it appears that Paul Manafort may have had his strings on uh, attached to this. You see, Paul Manafort is one of those political consultants who has been hired by thugs around the world because he will do whatever he can to win. Paul Manafort would not only pass the video off to the newspaper, Paul Manafort seems to me like the guy who would set up the opposing candidate into the compromising situation to get the video. Paul Manafort is Moscow's favorite American political consultant. He worked with political strongmen. He had a room in Trump Tower. He got to know Donald Trump. Donald Trump asked him to be on his campaign, and it looks like Paul Manafort decided to go the distance and do what he could to help Donald Trump win. Damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead, forget the law, do what it takes. This isn't Donald Trump's fault. And the odds are, given what is coming out of the leaks from the Mueller investigation, which rarely leaks, the Mueller investigators, even CNN is reporting, it doesn't appear that this actually has anything directly to do with the president, but to do with those around the president, people like Carter Page, people like Paul Manafort, people like Mike Flynn, the people who would do the things you have to do to get your candidate to win, even if it means breaking the law, even if it means playing fast and loose with the rules. And in the process of them doing this, they could potentially harm or ruin the Trump presidency. The left is out today celebrating the grand jury as proof positive that Donald Trump broke the law. There is no allegation the president of the United States broke the law. This grand jury has no allegation or even proof the president broke the law. But it does mean the Mueller investigation has turned up something questionable. And based on the leaks from the Mueller team today, from the Mueller team... It appears that it is not Donald Trump, not Donald Trump Jr., not Eric Trump, not Ivanka Trump, and not Jared Kushner who's being looked into, but hangers-on from the campaign who the campaign realized they had to distance themselves from, but the damage might have already been done. 
Y'all, with the exception of some touch-ups, I'm done with the audiobook of uh, Before You Wake. And, man, I I couldn't, I, I forgot I had written some of those parts of it. It was an emotional train wreck in the studio today. But, so I've never recorded an audiobook before. And the studio you use is a small soundproof room, and the microphone is so sensitive that if my stomach growled, I had to redo the sentence. If my if I touched my clothing, you could feel it brush on the microphone. And I had to read. It was crazy, the sensitivity of the microphone. But it was really cool to to do the book in my voice uh, because the the book it's not a political book. It's letters to my kids, life lessons, um, kind of autobiographical, kind of just things I want my kids to know. Uh, recipes as well. Part of it is a cookbook. Or reading the recipes was really bizarre. Um, two teaspoons salt, one teaspoon freshly ground black pepper. And then, of course, I would read it, uh, and the line that I would read would be slightly different from the way it's written in the book, and I would have to go back and do that. And then, how do you do it? Because there were parts of it where I said, I wrote this for my kids, and you didn't have to go back, do I say that I wrote it because this is the audio book, or do I say I spoke this for my kids? It was a weird experience. It really was, but it was it was really cool. I'm glad my kids will one day have the book in my own voice. And it's a book for everyone, not just my kids. If you want to pre-order it, I'm I'm actually excited by this book. It's the first time I've been this excited by writing something. Uh, if you want to pre-order it before you wake uh, Father's Letters to His Children, you can text the word WAKE, W-A-K-E, to 444-999. Uh, if nothing else, you can do it for the cookbook. I mean, these are my family favorite recipes. My gumbo's in there, French toast casserole, sausage bake, cinnamon rolls, pound cake, chocolate pie, uh, the spinach artichoke dip, the salsa recipe I make, uh, the honey buttermilk recipe, bread recipe. I, they're all in there. If you want a cool cookbook, um, you can text WAKE to 444-999. Or if you just want this book, it's it's really written to everyone. Uh, a lot of it to my kids. Uh, I, I, you know, it was kind of funny. The, um, the, the lady who was kind of the director, real, real nice, super people. Uh, she showed up yesterday wearing a resist shirt. It was like, oh, this is going to be interesting because there is socially conservative stuff in there and stuff about God and faith and and why I want my kids to believe certain things. It, it was great. We had a really good time. But I am exhausted and my voice is just about shot. I've got one more uh, thing I got to do tomorrow with it, and it'll be done. I'm excited by it, though. It comes out October 3rd, whirlwind trip. Um, it looks like I'll be on morning shows and on HBO shows, and uh, the the film rights are being negotiated, and there's talk of a TV show. But it's just the whole thing is really surreal, and I thank you all for the prayers and support when it comes to this. When we come back, uh, let's delve in further on what we're hearing about the grand jury investigation, but there's more out there as well. The Senate trying to move on to tax reform, and the Democrats look like they may have a real problem next year, and that is they're on defense in the Senate. And a lot of people haven't paid attention to them being on defense in the Senate, but they actually are. Also, in Georgia, we've got this governor's race shaping up, and well, more and more candidates coming. There are rumors of even more Republican candidates getting into this race. I will tell you what I know about that 
and so much more when we come back right here on WSB. Your phone calls as well, 404-872-0750. It's Eric Erickson here, 539 in Atlanta. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Uh, let's uh, let me delve in a little more on this grand jury stuff. We had a couple of callers and they were asking about these leaks and what do we know? Well, we know for example that uh, the Mueller team doesn't leak a lot. The only reason we know about the grand jury stuff is through the court where the grand jury is impaneled. This is one thing you need to know. I realize that the Republicans right now, by and large, have a political incentive to discredit the grand jury. If Donald Trump were a Democrat, the Democrats would be trying to discredit the grand jury. Donald Trump is a Republican, so Republicans are trying to discredit the grand jury and Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller is not a bad guy. He is not your enemy. He was tasked by the Department of Justice to do a job, and he is doing a job. You can complain that most of his, uh, most of the people under him have given money to Democrats, and that is a fair complaint, and he should have been mindful of it. He himself was a Republican appointee who has given lots of money to Republicans in the past, and there are some who have given money to Republicans on his team. But where do we know about most of the stuff that's coming with the grand jury and with the special counsel team? Most of those leaks are coming from people in Trump world. The reason we know what they're looking at is because of the documents they are requesting. So, for example, uh, I am told reliably that uh, the documents, some of the documents the special counsel and the grand jury want to look at are documents relating to the meeting Donald Trump Jr. had with the Russians last year. But the angle that they're looking at and the documents in particular they want are Paul Manafort's involvement in the meeting. That should be a red flag that they're not actually looking at Donald Trump Jr., they're looking at Manafort. Uh, we know some of these things from people in the White House. I don't mind telling you. I talk to people in the White House, and uh, those who have a sense uh, will say so when they can, what's going on. Uh, some of my longtime best friends, I got some friends of mine who work at the White House who I've known longer than I've known my wife. And we have a good relationship, and I wouldn't give them up, and they serve as useful intel for me to be able to relay to you. And none of them really think that this is about the president, uh, that this is about ancillary bad actors who had been on the president's team. One of the other things that's getting a lot of buzz today is Andrew McCabe, the new FBI director, confirmed with... Okay, so here's the funny thing. Um, there have only been six votes ever cast in opposition to an FBI director. Five of them came when Andrew McCabe, who is a Democrat, was confirmed by the Senate yesterday. Uh, Elizabeth Warren and the super progressive friends in the Senate decided to vote against her. Or vote against him, rather. 
McCabe is telling FBI agents that they need to prepare to testify before the Mueller investigation. Y'all, this is not uncommon. The media is making this be sensational. You know, uh, grand juries have police officers. Your local grand jury investigating a crime will have the police officers who investigated it testify. A federal grand jury on something like this is going to have the FBI testify. There aren't local police looking at it. There are FBI investigators looking at it, which is essentially sort of a national police force, if you will. So, of course, they're going to testify. Of course, the director of the FBI is going to tell those FBI agents who are looking into this to get prepared to testify. This isn't big news. And see, this is the problem. It's kind of like yesterday. I read you all the headlines of various unrelated news stories and all of them tried to work in an angle about Russia. That's what's going on here. News that is not salacious, is not scandalous, and is not new and is not big. They're trying to make it so so that they can tie it to this grand jury. You know, the Vanity Vanity Fair ran a profile the other day of the rivalry between the New York Times and the Washington Post. And one of the lines in the story was how this had been so good for subscriptions and online reading and ad revenue. That tells you everything you need to know about this whole process. The New York Times, The Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC, CNBC, you name it, they all have a vested interest in covering the story at every angle, every which way they can, whether or not there's a there there, because of ratings and subscriptions and ad revenue. It doesn't matter if there's not really a significant story there. They're going to cover it as best they can because the left is so engaged on the story and everyone else is so fixated on it and can't get away from it that they want to know everything about it. It's good for business, this story. Whether the president did anything wrong or not, and I still don't think there's anything illegal, the media is going to treat it like there is because they're making money off of it. I said Andrew McCabe, it's Christopher Ray from Georgia, who's the FBI director. My apologies. Outraged people calling in. My goodness. So I've got a 99% track record now, not a 100% track record. You can deal with it. <laughs> oh, Gavin Newsom, the annoying twerp who used to be the mayor of San Francisco, now the lieutenant governor of California, wants to be governor of California. Do you know one of the things Gavin Newsom wants to do? He wants to criminalize throwing away food. Yes. He wants to criminalize throwing away food. He wants to mandate statewide composting in California. When he was mayor of San Francisco, the San Francisco City Council passed a law mandating compost. And police literally would check people's garbage to see if there was food in their garbage. Eggshells, coffee grounds, scraps of food, you name it. They required mandatory, mandatory composting. This is a man who wants to be governor of California now, and they will probably elect the nut job. The Democrats will probably nominate him for the presidency of some sort of ambitious guy. You know, he used to be married to Kimberly Guilfoyle. Uh, they, they were married, and they got a divorce. He apparently 
uh, had a fling, if I believe, and so she she divorced him, if I remember that right. The guy's just, he's not a pleasant individual. He's just, liberals are so humorless. They really are. He's one of those humorless liberals. Let's go to the phones. Sam in Marietta, welcome. Hey, Eric, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I had a, <laughs> I had a question about your Vanity Fair, um, the Vanity Fair piece by the New York Times and Washington Post. Yes. And it's about like how like the subscriptions for both newspapers are rising and how CNN and the major three news uh, broadcasters... Wall-to-wall and, Russia coverage. Yeah. And I was wondering, like, and how, it's annoying. We, I think we all know that, but... Doesn't it, but could it be hypocritical for us to say that when for the past four years Fox News and conservative outlets have been talking about Benghazi over and over and over again? Well, I mean, to a degree, maybe so. It is true. Fox played that up, but the other networks did not. And I, I think there's a great corollary here is that the number one job of these liberal networks is they feel like they got to protect the precious. And that was Barack Obama and the Democrats. So they will play up this because it's what liberals want to hear about. And they'll they'll go wall to wall coverage with it. I mean, Fox is the only balancing regulator. And by the way, I would submit to you that Benghazi was a legitimate scandal. The American ambassador killed American special operators killed because the government would not send them help. I And, you know, had Fox not covered it, it wouldn't have gotten any coverage. Really wouldn't have. Um, it, it, you can say Fox was obsessive in his coverage, and some people have. I think I've written before that uh, I, I thought that, and you know, my friend Steve Hayes uh, for the Weekly Standard and on uh, Fox's special report, he disagrees with me. He thinks there was a huge there there that the media was uh, negligent and committed malpractice in the way they covered it. But, I mean, the, the rest of the media, they protect the precious, and the precious is always a liberal Democrat. It's always Barack Obama and the left. And this story, they think, hurts Donald Trump, whether there's there there or not. So they're going to play it up. When we come back, we will pivot into the gubernatorial election in Georgia. I'm Eric Erickson. This is WSB and Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk, CNN reporting at this moment. It was uh, Intelligence Intercepts discussing Paul Manafort that raised the special counsel's eyebrow and moved the grand jury forward. So we'll see. Let's, Let's get into state politics here for just a minute. Uh, a buddy of mine texted me that this weekend the uh, Georgia Republicans are meeting to deal with some of the resolutions that uh, were held over from the convention, didn't get brought up, they didn't have time. Uh, one of them is getting the candidates for governor to sign a RIFRA pledge that they would pass RIFRA. I think they should sign it. I think they should pass the resolution. Uh, whether they pass the resolution or not, I think we should get all of the candidates for governor on record about RIFRA and see which ones lie. Uh, and, and, you know, I am. I, I've, the microphone here is open 
all the candidates who want to run for governor, I'm welcome to have them on and do as we did in the 6th Congressional District. I'm not taking a side on them or the lieutenant governor or anyone else other than uh, Secretary of State is the only one I'm taking a, a position on, and that's just because I have known Buzz Brockway forever. Um, <laughs> he's a good guy. Uh, happy to support him. Uh, no disrespect intended to Josh McCoon, who I know and like, but I've just known Buzz uh, since I was in college. Uh, we were in college Republicans together. Uh, he went to that um, that uh, trade school on North Avenue. I went to Mercer. And anyway, uh, that's the only one I'm taking a position in. But I, I the, the microphone, the, the radio show is uh, open to others. So I would like to know their position on it. And if they're not going to actually pass this resolution with the state party, I think we need to get them on record as to where RIFRA is headed in the state and see if they lie, uh, as some of them have done in the past. Uh, likewise, you know, that we've, you know, we've now got the situation where you've got Hunter Hill running, you got Michael Williams running, you got Brian Kemp running, you got Casey Cagle running, and there are still rumors that others are getting into the race. I keep hearing that uh, one of the, the Kathy uh, clan is going to get into the race, and, and I don't think Dan, um, I, I, I've heard it's not him, but there may be another one of the Kathy clan who wants to get into the race. There's another businessman in Georgia that I hear wants to get into the race. Uh, and we may have one of the former congressmen get into the race. I keep thinking Jack Kingston or Lynn Westmoreland will get in, and it's going to grow. The thing that I really am interested in is, are we going to have a, a substantive conservative, ideological principled conservative run for governor in Georgia? Because it seems to me that we have for a very long time had people run for governor in Georgia who, well, they we haven't actually had an actual Republican. You know, Nathan Deal, who I, I've got no problem with Nathan Deal. We, we don't see eye to eye on every issue, but he's a good guy. And he, I think he's been a fairly good governor. But he was a Democrat and became a Republican. Before him, Sonny Perdue was a Democrat who became Republican. Maybe this will finally be the time we have an actual, authentic, lifelong, died-in-the-wool Republican become governor. But i I got to say something that I don't mean it to be offensive, and I don't mean it to be insulting. I really don't. And I know it's going to come off this way, but I was sitting around the other night with a large group of friends of mine who are heavy into politics, um, some of them more so than me at the state level, and they were all lamenting the crop of candidates that we have at the state level now, that there just doesn't seem to be a depth there. And it, which is kind of surprising, you got two statewide office holders already, the Secretary of State and Lieutenant Governor running. you got two members of the state Senate running, uh, Mike Williams and Hunter Hill. And they these guys were just kind of depressed by the crop. Uh, and, of course, my response to them is, if you think you're depressed by the Republican crop, you should look at who the Democrats are running, which did make them feel somewhat better. Now, here's the other thing I want you to know about the governor's race in Georgia is I don't plan to spend a ton of time on it. At least this year, things are still going to be shaping up. Others are going to enter it. Uh, the race is still a long way off. And I realize if you're in the race, uh, you're focused on a candidate, you've already got a dog in the fight, that you're really geared up for it. But it is still a long way off. It's like trying to talk about the 2020 presidential election right now. I really don't have a, a huge desire to delve that far into a topic like this for now. We'll get there eventually. In the meantime, 
let's consider the fate of the Democrats, not just statewide. Stacey Abrams, Stacey Evans fighting it out. Uh, it's interesting to see a number of Democrats coming out for Stacey Evans. Uh, Stacey Abrams was the Democratic leader in the House. Stacey Evans, the lawyer Democrat in, in the state legislature, uh, who is trying to play up her blue-collar roots. Um, it, it's amazing how she's got all these different roots to play up with different crowds. But at the national level, we got a bigger problem for the Democrats. That, By the way, just as an aside, I realize this is somewhat scatterbrained. I'm sorry. I've been recording an audiobook for two days. Where the hell is John Ossoff? Has he gotten married yet? I, a buddy of mine actually texted me the other day and said uh, Ossoff has gone back to London. That his little recording thing with Al Jazeera or whatever over there, that he, he's, he's no longer even here. Is that true? I, I don't know if it's true or not. But yeah, a buddy of mine swears he's he's gone back overseas since he lost. It's typical. What the Democrats found out with John Ossoff is that Nancy Pelosi is the plague. And there is a story out uh, from McClatchy News Service. Nancy Pelosi might actually be in trouble. In a survey of 20 Democratic House candidates, only one, a former Senate staffer from Orange County, California, would state support for the Congresswoman staying on as leader of the House Democratic Caucus. Of the rest, 18 declined to say if Pelosi should keep her job, while one, a political newcomer from a culturally conservative Ohio district, in other words, a loser, said he would vote for someone other than Pelosi. Their refusal is a remarkable development for an already embattled minority leader, even if other congressional leaders like Republican House Speaker Paul Ryan or Senate Leader Mitch McConnell are similarly unpopular in the polls. That's true, but Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell uh, are not polarizing figures like Nancy Pelosi is. Pelosi is a major polarizing figure, and we saw with John Ossoff tying him to Nancy Pelosi uh, was just a killer for him. The attack on him for being tied to Pelosi was just unbelievable. And now let's jump to the Senate side. In 2018, the Democrats are going to be defending 10 Senate seats in states won by Donald Trump. In West Virginia, Donald Trump won by 42 points. In North Dakota, he won by 36 points. In Montana, he won by 22 points. In Missouri, he won by 19 points. In Indiana, he won by 19 points. In Ohio, he won by 8 points. In Florida, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, he won by 1 point. Think about them odds for a minute for the Democrats. They've got to be freaking out in there. I mean, a buddy of mine, Liam Donovan, let me just read you some of his tweets. Let's say President Trump is a flop. Maybe the business cycle swoons on the Republican watch. That's still five states where the Democratic baseline is under 40% with just two potential Republican pickups. It's not the Democrats can't make an argument to hold any of those seats individually, but that's a tough map. How many of them are even going to run? Some of them are well beyond retirement age. And the problem for Democrats is that out of the three Senate classes, remember the Senate does an election every two years, but it's only a third of the Senate each time. Out of the three Senate classes, only Class 3 is target-rich, and it's not going to align with the presidential cycle until 2028. That's why Ron Johnson and Pat Toomey and even Richard Burr in North Carolina surviving the presidential race last year was so big. And it's a vicious cycle. 
Democrats had a bad night last time in part because Republicans scorched their bench in 2010 and went back in 2014 to salt the earth. That is an understated argument that I don't think people appreciate. On the Democratic side in the House and the Senate, the Democrats don't have a bench anymore. Republicans so thoroughly annihilated them in 2010, 12, 14, and 16, they don't have candidates. I mean, they're going to have to find unknown novice candidates to pit against experienced people. Now, if the economy goes south and Donald Trump is just a disaster, yeah, they'll be able to pick some up. And at the, the gubernatorial level in 2018, they may be able to. But wow, I mean, the odds are stacked against these guys pretty significantly right now. Folks, let's go back to the phones, shall we? Oh, Tom in Woodstock, you are up next. Welcome. Thank you so much. Sure. Uh, Quick question for you. You remember the travel ban, and we uh, found out from the Supreme Court 9-0 to that the president has authority to set immigration policy. Yes. Why do we have this this law that Purdue is proposing on immigration if the law if the president can set immigration policy? Well, the president can't actually set immigration policy. This is somewhat complicated. Um, Article one, section eight of the Constitution says uh, Congress has the exclusive power to establish a uniform rule of naturalization and uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcy through the United States. Uh, So essentially, Congress, they say rule of naturalization. Today, we say immigration. Congress has the exclusive power to establish uniform rules of naturalization. Well, Congress, in establishing those uniform rules of naturalization, wrote a law that said the president, in his sole discretion, can temporarily, at times of national security importance, restrict the flow of immigrants from countries designated by the State Department as problematic. So that's why the Supreme Court said the president can do this, but the president is only allowed to do that because Congress wrote a law giving the president exclusive discretion. Congress can yank that back at any time, subject to a presidential veto, of course, but anything that anything that is to govern immigration in this country has to be approved by Congress. That's something that people miss. And that's one reason why it was kind of a no-brainer for people who looked at these judges doing what they were doing against the president, knowing the Supreme Court was going to tell the president he had the power to do it. Because the law is very specific. Congress has this power, and they've designated the president as exclusively the person to do things temporarily with regards to immigration. And Congress has the right to do that, by the way. Congress can take part of its power and give it to the president. Um, They can pull it back at any time statutorily, and they restrict the ways in which the president can do it. Congress cannot, for example, under the Constitution and constitutional law, Congress cannot write a law that says the president has the exclusive power to establish uniform rules of naturalization. They can't, Congress can't take a line item from Article 1, Section 2, or Section 8, and place it into Article 2, Section 2 with the president. That's Article 2 is the president. But what Congress can do is they can hash out an immigration law and set the parameters by which people are allowed to come into the country, but then say we're going to allow the executive, the exclusive authority, to pause this or restrict this or recategorize this for national security needs as commander-in-chief 
if the situation changes in these countries, and that's what they did. It was perfectly legal. Now, I, I gotta I want to shift gears here real quick because transcripts were released today or yesterday. They're all over the news today of, of the president's calls with the Prime Minister of Australia and the Mexican president. And I don't fault the news media for running the transcripts. I really don't. The Washington Post, I think, ran them. And if the Washington Post didn't, the Politico would have. And if the Politico didn't, the New York Times would have. And if the New York Times didn't, the USA Today would. And uh, the news network, various news networks would. I don't, I don't blame them at all for doing it. But just think about this for a minute. Someone in the executive branch has leaked conversations, transcripts of conversations, of the president and foreign leaders. Why? I mean, clearly to harm the president, but to harm the president at the expense of our national security and common defense. Let's explore this when we come back. You know, if you watch a lot of movies, watch Game of Thrones, watch a lot of dramas on TV and whatnot, watch superhero Netflix shows, there there is often a theme that comes up that is explored, and that is, where do you draw the line in becoming that which you hate? Where do you, in drawing the line, go too far to stop what you hate? And I have, I've wondered that a lot on the right because I, I think uh, an intellectual laziness has set in has set in among a lot of conservatives these days, who just want to beat the left. They don't have any ideas. They just want to beat the left. And in beating the left, they think they're going to use the left's tactics. They're going to adopt the Alinsky tactics. And, you know, Alinsky, in his book, Rules for Radicals, he dedicated the book to Satan. So you, on the right, want to adopt tactics that were dedicated to Satan. I got a problem with that. I got a problem when you become what you hate in order to stop what you hate. I don't think that's necessary. I don't think their ways are your ways. Now, I, I say all of that to talk about this latest story where someone opposed to the president, embedded within the executive branch, has released the transcripts of phone calls with the president and the prime minister of Australia and the president of Mexico, and they've done so to embarrass the president. The media has uh, had a field day with this today. David Frum, who is not a fan of the president, who is a serious, substantial critic of the president, has a piece in The Atlantic today. Let me just read you the headline. Why leaking transcripts of Trump's calls is so dangerous. The subtitle is, When the president's opponents violate norms to undermine him, they do lasting damage to American security. 
Leaking the transcript of a presidential call to a foreign leader is unprecedented, shocking, and dangerous. It is vitally important that a president be able to speak confidentially, and perhaps even more important that foreign leaders understand that they can reply in confidence. Thursday's leak to the Washington Post of President Trump's calls with the President of Mexico and the Prime Minister of Australia will reverberate around the world. No leader will again speak candidly on the phone to Washington, D.C., at least for the duration of this presidency and perhaps for longer. If these calls can be leaked, any call can be leaked, and no leader dare say anything to the President of the United States that he or she would not wish to read in the news at home. That is absolutely on point. It is absolutely credible, absolutely, I I mean, he's right. And this is a situation where people on the left so hate the president of the United States that they will stoop to the level of doing things that they think that only Donald Trump would do. They will become what they hate in order to stop what they hate, which at that point you can't stop what you hate. You've become it. How much of our national security will be undercut, will be hurt by liberals trying to stop the president. I I suspect more than we're comfortable acknowledging. Whoever this is needs to be rooted out. There should be a special prosecutor to find this person. Whoever leaked this, this person should be found out, and this person should go to jail for a very long time. I want to deviate here because I'm tired of talking about the news of the day. Uh, Let me read you some of this stuff, uh, and I'll tell you where it comes from. Um, Where's the one that I'm looking for? Um, Well, yes, here we go. Read the Iliad. The Iliad was originally an oral history passed down from generation to generation. Then Homer worked his magic. Thousands of years after the events based on the story... Heinrich Schliemann found the gates of Troy. If the basic facts of an oral history could hold up over thousands of years, why couldn't the Exodus have happened, or the Resurrection? But don't settle for just the Iliad. The canon of Western civilization is rich, broad, and necessary for a well-developed mind. But the politics of the 21st century would tell you it's all a bunch of patriarchal dead white men. Nonsense. Nonetheless, the dead patriarchal white men are the ones who shaped history, carved up the map, and charted the world into modernity. Just because some people fall out of the favor, fall out of favor with the zeitgeist, that does not mean they should truly be dismissed. Reality TV will rot your brain. Live in the moment instead of simply trying to document it all on your cell phone's camera. When you never find conflict between God and your politics, politics has become your God. They say it is the thought that counts, but some gifts clearly indicate you weren't thinking. I feel is not equivalent to I think. Because I'm dad is always a valid response to the question, why? The only better response is, because I'm Batman. But only Batman gets to use that one. Those are pieces of advice I wrote to my kids in the last chapter of my book, Before You Wake. Now, they're they're not all these little one-liners. I actually have whole chapters, letters to my kids, advice for my kids. I've, I've got an entire chapter on recipes. Uh, how, if I ever get my cooking show, who, how it would work and who I would want on it. Uh, my cinnamon roll recipe, my gumbo, how to smoke a turkey, uh, my brisket sauce, which you should make my brisket sauce. If you're into smoking meats, don't tell me no sauce is required. You haven't had my brisket sauce. It has been a surreal experience to sit in a sound studio today and read the book out loud uh, as if to my kids. 
Um, it is, uh, it's, it's, well, advice, things I wanted for my kids if something should happen to Christy and me. Uh, if, if you'll allow me, uh, these words, thoughts, recipes, hopes, and aspirations are things I want Evelyn and Gunnar to cherish. Christy and I are going to die one day. We all will. We do not know the future, but I know these are things I want my children to know are true. I worry more than I ever should about my kids. My mind races to horror stories. Gunner is headed off to play in the woods. What if he gets lost? What if a snake bites him? Evelyn is going swimming. What if she falls in, hits her head, and drowns? I hope it is normal to be overprotective and overworry and overthink the dangers that lie ahead for our kids. I just want them to love God, love us, and be kind. Most of all, Gunner and Evelyn, your mother and I love you so much. We go into your room at night and watch you sleep. Evelyn, I keep part of the fabric from your favorite stuffed animal in my travel bag and rub it between my hands to remind me of you. Gunner, I keep your laugh on my phone so I can listen to it and hear you. I love you. Your mom and I love you. When the day comes that you can no longer see us face to face, we will just be behind the veil of eternity, watching and waiting to hold you once again. That's the last two paragraphs of the book give you a sense of what it is. Uh, the recipes, the one-liners, the pieces of advice, the letters to my kids on growing up, remembering where they came from, why they need to love God, why they need to have community, why they need to actually stay away from the Internet and know their next-door neighbor in real life. Uh, all those things is just fascinating reliving the stuff. Some of it I can't believe I wrote. Uh, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I'm doing an audiobook in my voice, reading these letters I wrote to my kids in my own voice. And I hope you'll find meaning in it. I hope you'll get it. If you would like to pre-order it, it comes out October 3rd. If you text the word WAKE to 444-999, the word WAKE, W-A-K-E, the book title is Before You Wake, to 444-999, uh, I'll send you back links to Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can buy the audiobook version that I finished up. Uh, you can buy the hardback version. You can buy the electronic version. I hope you'll consider doing it. Uh, we're actually getting it out in October for holiday season. Uh, perfect advice for kids or parents to give to their kids and whatnot. But boy, I'm glad it's done. Okay, so having condemned whichever Democrat uh, released the transcript of the president's phone yeah, He's calls. talking about the drug problem, you know, which well, is no question. Oh, yeah, this is uh, the, the autoplay from CNN. Oh, man, I hate that CNN has started doing autoplay videos. But so here's one of the transcripts is Do Donald Trump told the Mexican president, this is a direct quote from the president of the United States, I won New Hampshire because New Hampshire is a drug-infested den. <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> so Chris Saliza of CNN is trying to come up with uh, slogans, Trumpian slogans for all 50 states. <laughs> Alabama, first in football, but last in everything else. <laughs> North Dakota, for when you're tired of South Dakota. Alaska, worst deal in history. Give it back to Russia. Arizona, sunny with sucky senators. <laughs> Oh, California, the land of fruits and nuts. 
Colorado so freaking high they voted for Hillary. These are just, these are fantastic. Connecticut, just a restroom between Boston and New York. That one is true. I, I promise you that one is true. <laughs> oh, man. These transcripts. It turns out he really did have a heated exchange with the Australian Prime Minister, despite denying it. But still, I can't believe that someone who is who who sees the president as a threat wouldn't see their own actions in releasing these transcripts as a threat. But there are so much Trump hatred out there now, the, the Trump derangement syndrome, if you will, that people can't actually see that they're harming the nation, hurting our national security by releasing this sort of stuff. They, they just don't get it. Finally tonight, there's a, a story out of California, Orange County, California. A boy who is eight is in a private school in, in Southern California, not a, not a sectarian school. It's a secular learning academy, eight years old. And his family is filing suit against the school where he no longer goes. He stopped going to the school because the other kids were picking on him because he has decided to become a she at the age of eight. And instead of his parents not letting him go down the road of madness, they've fully embraced it. And they've decided if he identifies as a she, then everyone else must treat him as a her. And because the school did not go down that road and would not do it, they've decided to sue the school. And in California, they're probably going to win given the laws in California. Just so ridiculous. One of the things I, I, I write in my book to my kids is uh, that the world wants you to conform and badger you, bully you, and harass you until you conform, and that your goal is to get through life without conforming to nonsense. And that is one of these things here, folks. You cannot conform to nonsense. I am out of time. Don't forget, you can sign up for the daily newsletter. Text WSB to 444-999.